Center at 707-575-8902. And good afternoon. You're listening to 94.1 FM KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Now, today is November the 5th, 2013. Gosh, November the 5th. Aha, December the 5th. In a month, I'm going to be 80. Good God. I don't know if he's good. Uh, Actually, yes, I was listening to the program at you just heard, let's see, science and its impact on society, right. <laughs> Made a note here, yes. Theater and its impact in society, on society. I wonder if the liberal arts have any, have any impact at all. Yes, before I, uh, get to my notes, uh, a friend asked me the other day, uh, she said that several people had asked her, uh, what the theme song was on this uh, show and I said well of course it's the last bit of the three penny opera written by uh, Bertel Brecht the great playwright who was uh, persecuted by Huack and had to flee went to Berlin of course and uh, anyway uh, the three penny opera is something well the music is by Kurt Weil and what it is all about <laughs> is the coming of fascism. And I think, well, you know, I I wanted to talk a lot about this Weimar Republic thing, you know, Germany between the wars and how we have all these, these symptoms. But never mind, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I'm going to just jump right in to theater because... Because my mood is changing, I, I'm i really sick of doom. Uh, I'll talk about doom when I talk about the Shakespeare plays. That's better. I want to talk about a friend of mine. Last Sunday night, we had a gathering for uh, Jean Shelton. She is a local institution, and... Uh, She's older than I am, but I won't, I wouldn't dream of saying her exact age after all. She was an actress for so many years. Uh, (laughs) Sunday night, we all got together and all her friends and students and 
her children gathered at the theater in San Francisco at the Shelton Playhouse. And they talked about what it was that she had done for them, what she meant to them. And it was, it was, it was the nicest, uh, I guess we call this a celebration of that kind that I've ever been to. Uh, as a rule, I get irritated with people who, you know, want to talk about the past. But I looked in my books and I found way back in the day a conversation with Jean Shelton, just about my oldest friend in the theater anyway, and I found something from, would you believe, 1977. I published this essay in a little magazine called City Minor. Mike Helm edited that magazine for a number of years. Yes, in the 70s up into the early 80s. And I was writing about what I called emerging women. That is, women who, you know, who used to be just folks and turn into, um, what do we call this? Artists, right, artists, you know. So Gertrude Stein says, genius is what happens when you're looking for a way out. When I met Jean, she was a legal secretary, and uh, we did plays at night. The first play we were in together was Norman Mailer's Deer Park. She played, it was biographical, and she played the character who would be, or would have been, Norman Mailer's wife. I, on the other hand, played his mother. Anyway, I was trying to put into words what Jean's acting school was all about. Uh, and this essay, yes, I'm just going to read you some of it, because it's trying to get to the heart of why we're artists and, yes, what the th society does get from creativity. Let's see. Jean and I are sitting in Walker's Pie Shop on Solano Avenue, footnote. Walker's Pie Shop has been closed for many years now, but it was a wonderful place to pig out. Uh, we go through our usual rationalizations about food. She has the diet special. I have pumpkin pie with whipped cream. She tells me she's going to Europe this summer, and certainly there's no question Europe looks better if you're thin. <laughs> in case anyone is unfamiliar with our theater scene here in the Bay Area, I should say that Jean Shelton's acting school is a phenomenon unique. <laughs> Uh, to the Bay Area, yes. Jean's classes began at the Berkeley Repertory Company, 1968. That was the, the, uh, the theater up on college when the Berkeley Rep was just getting together, getting off the ground. Uh, at that time, there were any number of actors, including myself. We wanted to work intensively. And we asked Jean to teach. We met and we worked and the school moved to a church on Prince Street and finally to a location on 8th and Dwight. And then, let's see, that was 1974. And uh, 
Then we created a performance workshop, which evolved into the Playhouse Company and is now today the uh, Shelton Theater. It's on Sutter Street in San Francisco. Performance, yes, performance company there. Uh, I go here into a long description of the Mammoth Warehouse down on 8th Street and all the places and the the manifestations, yes, uh, and classrooms and the workspace and all that stuff. Uh, Jean reminds me, while she sits here at the table with me, she reminds me of an innocent Jeannie Moreau. I've known her for so many years. Uh, now, I'm trying to figure out how to type my interview because we both got the same initials. I think I'll call me Stone and Jean Shelton Jean just because <laughs> I'm so fond of her. Jean, how did you come to the theater? Jean says, when I was 19 at the and I was at the end of a marriage... My father left me $2,000. I couldn't decide whether to go to Europe or to go to New York and become an actress. I had never taken any drama in college, never seen any theater. I was trying to write for some reason. <laughs> Stone says, isn't everyone? Jean says, the theater fascinated me, so I decided to spring the money on that. I was very naive. Marriage offered little that was exciting, and the theater seemed to be the opposite of everything I'd known up to that time. I try to pin her down at this point, Stone. Stone says, is the theater a place where women can grow and evolve and develop? And Jean says, oh, I suppose it's that search for identity. Yes, identity politics. That's certainly always been my problem, she says. An artist, an actress, yes, struggles with a part. And that's all, all very much like a woman searching for herself. In acting, you begin to search for what you really feel, what you want, and in essence, who you are. That is, you know, who the character is. It's very strange because a lot of people think, well, actors, they have no identity playing all those different roles. But that's not true. There is a focus, Jennifer, and I have a number of younger women who tell me that going through this process has really changed them. Uh-huh. People say they want to be more independent, introspective. Inspection is required, a self-study, study of human nature. That's what acting is all about. And it can't help but raise your awareness at the same time. <laughs> yes. A footnote here, I think of all the people Sunday night, this past Sunday night, when we were celebrating Jean's life in the theater, uh, who said that she was a lifesaver, you know. Poetry saves lives. Art. Art saves lives. <laughs> anyway, Jean uh, goes on to say, of course, women can be victims in the theater just as well as anywhere else. Victims of their fears, of their directors. Stone says, so you choose the examined life. Yes, 
You chose that over a trip to Europe? Now, what if you go to Europe this summer and decide you made the wrong choice? Jean says, eat your pie. Stone says, do you feel that the success of your school and your theater is related to the growth movement, to the desire of so many people today to do their own thing, this new age thing? Jean says, oh, yes, so many people are frustrated. The world doesn't seem to have that much to offer. Jobs can be so grim. Materialism is depressing. Where is the spiritual life going to come from, if not from art? Personally, she says, I think the theater saved my life. Husbands come and go. Lovers come and go. Children grow up and go away. Work is the one constant, the thing that endures. Stone says, and she quotes Voltaire, I quote Voltaire, we must go and work in the garden. Uh, of course, I'm pontificating. During the 1960s, a lot of creative artists found themselves on the barricades instead of in the garden. There is a time for artists to express their political views directly. Sometimes it's hard to know just when this should come about, as well as when the time is right for reflection and turning inward and for the private vision since there is a lack of overt political expression just now, this was in 1977, remember. Do you think, Jean, that this may be one reason for our renaissance, the renaissance in all the arts? Jean says, oh yes, we're more creative. When as many people as a tiny town like Berkeley are working so hard creatively, well, something's happening. Of course, we can't know what the result will be. Do you know there were scores of theaters functioning in the East Bay last year? Impossible to keep posted on all the work that's going on. Footnote here, and it multiplied, and yes, more and more came. Stone says, a lot of that work got its impetus from your school, from your students. Uh, they studied with you, and then they went out and created their own theaters. I think you have understood. That's how things really change, slowly, through people, Jean says. Communication is so damn difficult in any relationship with the children, with a lover, whatever. In art, in theater, you're free to say or to express what you feel. You don't have to censor yourself. And Stone says, you mean that the mask gives you permission? You can speak through a, a character? Jean says, well, anyway, it keeps you from getting arrested. Uh, Stone says, you have five children. How do you manage to be an entrepreneur? 
Do you have a housekeeper? <laughs> Jean says, well, if I did, I'd have to clean up beforehand. No. I have too much guilt to let anyone else clean up my mess. <laughs> Stone says, sounds like a socialist. <laughs> and you're from the South. Okay, so after all is said and done, the dishes aren't. What about the children? Jean says, well, they resisted when they were young. They wanted me at home. Uh, everyone else's mother was at home. With time, they became proud of my work. Oh, they come and they criticize. They have their opinions, this or that stinks, you know. But they're proud that I've done this work. <laughs> Stone says, Somebody, I think Clarence Darrow, says that the first half of our lives is made miserable by our parents. And the second half is destroyed by our children. You've spent more than half your life raising children. Would you do it all over again? Jane says, let's talk about theater. Stone says, well, okay, Konstantin Stanislavski. He says, among other things, an actor must work all his life, cultivate his mind, train his talent systematically, develop his character. He may never despair, never relinquish his main purpose to love his art with all his strength and love it unselfishly. Okay, that's the end of the quote from... Constantine there at the Moscow Art Theater back in the day. I go on to say, uh, how do you imagine young actors reconcile statements like that, like Stanislavski's, with the success of, oh, uh, Madonna, let's see. Back in the day, it would have been Farrah Fawcett Major, late 70s, okay. Jean says, I avoid the subject of commodities. The business of entertainment is one thing. The art of acting is another. Stone says, last night I dug out my ancient college papers on Stanislavski, so I'd be ready to ask you these questions. Uh, let's see. My review of Stanislavski's book, The Actor Prepares, I got a B minus on that. On building a character, I got an A, but after I read My Life in Art, <laughs> the professor told me enough was enough. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in 1952. So much blood under the bridge since then. You and I have talked and talked so much about the evolution of the method, the ways in which it has been used by so many actors and, you know, uh, technique. Um, Laurence Olivier had no use for it back in New York in the 1950s. I remember actors who were positively dangerous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially when it came to acting out their roles backstage or, you know, uh, 
they would say, well, we can't possibly play this scene unless we have had that experience, blah, blah. It was a great line for some guys. Uh, I think they began to believe it themselves, you know. <laughs> it can get... It can get a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, psychotic. Uh, remember that wonderful movie, A Double Life, with Ronald Coleman? He was playing the role of Othello, and he began to believe that he was Othello. And you know, instead of strangling his Desdemona, he managed to find a waitress and strangled her. That was Shelley Winters. <laughs> anyway. Shelton says, uh, oh, of course, putting lives in danger doesn't necessarily move your audience. Uh, and, of course, that is what acting is all about, reaching an audience, uh, feeling as if they feel moved. Uh, doesn't She doesn't say here whether mm-hmm, they have positive responses. I don't think that's the point. She goes on to say, I think the method is the best foundation for actors. Now, those books, the works of Stanislavski, they should be read like novels and not like the Bible. The method has been glorified and mystified so much that actors have become intimidated. In class, I try to demystify the art of acting. I mean, if you totally believed you were the character you play on stage, you need a doctor. Method is a technique, a structure, something to use to get you inside a character. We call it sense memory. An actor must have self-control, a sense of humor, and do the work. As in any art, no amount of inspiration or feeling, no matter how intense, will take the place of work. Footnote here. I think I compared it with writing. I remember thinking that, uh, you know, the inspiration was all very well, uh, but you had to get it said. You had to get it down in words. Uh, Actors would get carried away. They would, they would be so intense. They would feel so much. They'd make themselves sick. David Carradine used to do that backstage, the little theater I worked in here in Berkeley. Anyway, Stone goes on to say, well, what about innate talent? Gene says, talent is what you know. Don't you mean the expression of what you know? Is that technique? I'm getting all tangled up in the words. Jane says, I just want it said that art is not something mystic. Stone says, but you said the creative life is spiritual. Jane says, I think I'll have a Coke. Ah, Stone goes on to say, I agree with you, of course. The theater has always been my religion. I was a child in the theater. Most of the joy and celebration in my early life centered around a stage. What is this feeling so many actors have that the theater is home? Thinking of a late Angmar Bergman movie. Fanny and Alexander, yes, the actors. 
think that their little world is their home. There's the great world and the little world of their theater. Uh, Jean goes on to say, it's a question of identity. As I said, some of us need ritual. We need that celebration of the theater. Remember, the theater grew out of religious ceremony. Think of the ancients. The, the priest became the leader of the chorus, dance, the ancients. Think of Egypt and the, uh, the Greeks and even the Romans. Conflict or drama uh, is acting out. It's revealing desires. It's the recreation of life. Stone says, When I was a kid, I always put on plays in the backyard and made my parents and their friends come and watch. Do you think kids today have, have a chance to express themselves? Jane says, Well, art is subversive by definition. Freedom of expression is political suicide if carried far enough. Our system depends on repression. Art, art is a way to get permission to stand alone individually and say what is felt. Might make us feel good to break windows and wreck property, but there are consequences to that kind of protest. There is a time to go to the barricades. There's a time to go back to the workshop to create works that teach. Uh, I go on to say, do people working in theater have a responsibility to the community, to the audience? And Jean says, certainly. Theater people, for the most part, have always been socially responsible. We go on a great deal on that subject. Yes, I talk about being a barricades broad and uh, whether that's the best thing to do or whether it's better to... What is that... Uh, do it not secondhand, but to speak through your art. She talks about Lenny Bruce, Bob Dylan, of course Marlon Brando, the filmmaker Engmar Bergman, playwright Eugene O'Neill. We both feel closer to the dark ones. And we want to talk about actresses and how they are trying to find better parts. And Jean says the parts are worse and there are fewer of them. She says that more women are writing plays and getting them produced. And both of us seem to feel that that's the secret. Women must be in on the ground floor. They must write and direct. And then we go on at great length about her struggles becoming a director. Not just an acting teacher, but a director. Um... She talks about how women hesitate to take the initiative. She says, you don't have to be a son of a bitch. You just have to set aside those ego needs and get on with the work. And then, you know, the actors will, the actors will uh, react. They will feel that what you're doing is the right thing. She said, in the beginning, men test you. Uh, she said, I can be whatever I want now. My freedom is absolute. Of course, I have to be mother sometimes if that's what's needed. Uh, 
Then I go on to talk about whether or not she threatens the men. And she says it's probably her southern accent. Uh, Okay. The conversation gets very esoteric. And uh, we talk about gay playwrights. She gives Tennessee Williams all these laurels. And my footnote here gives Tony Kirshner all the prizes for being sensitive and having feminist or feminine imagination. Uh, I wish I had time to read you all of this essay. I I think it's it's interesting. Um, I think what I was trying to do was talk about the uses of theater as uh, as education. But of course, everyone winces when they hear the word performance. Uh, finally, we talk about when an actor feels an audience respond and performance changes. And I say, it sounds like a love affair. And Jean says, isn't everything? This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back on the air next year at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Nikki Giovanni is a world-renowned poet, writer, commentator, activist, teacher, and spoken word recording artist. Her Nikki Giovanni poetry collection was recently a Grammy finalist, yet she humbly describes herself as a black American, a daughter, a mother, a professor. Nikki will present her new book, Chasing Utopia, on November 7th, a Thursday evening at 7.30 at First Congregational Church in Oakland. That's 2501 Harrison Street at 27th Street. There's wheelchair access and free parking at this KPFA benefit. Blanche Richardson will be hosting her longtime friend, Nikki Giovanni, who will also sign her fine new book. Advanced tickets are